0: pills i would like to see drug testing at festivals i'm going down a very slippery slope thrills this is an experiment with our children and belly aches
1: is it just talk Welcome to One News Inside Parliament. It's our weekly catch-up about the political stories that we've been covering on One News. I'm Jessica Much Mackay. I'm Mikey Sherman. And I'm Benedict Collins. And thank you very much for being with us today. So let's start off with our pits and our peaks. Let's start off on a chirpy note, shall we? We'll start off positive with peaks. Who wants to start? I can start us off.
2: But Perfect. it's not very political, although it could be political. We are talking Harry Potter, people. This is my peak. Okay, I'm sorry. I have to. This
1: is <laughs> a bad thing. It's not
2: political, but it is a it is a huge peak for me, and it is the Sorting Hat. Okay, I don't know if any of you have seen that there is a quiz which J.K. Rowling herself put together to put you into your uh, a Hogwarts house. But we've done it in the office this week. Just, I can see your face. She's not really enjoying this. We. Did it, and I loved it because you know I'm from that generation of Harry Potter. Read all the books, mate. Did, did all the things. Anyway, proud to announce that I am House uh, Ravenclaw.
1: And what you know, house are you I going? I was
3: Ravenclaw too,
1: and, I, and I was Benedict. Slytherin. Also proud. Um, and you can right. tell that it's weak. And that it's really See, sweet. I think this pick was just. <laughs>
2: this pick was worth it just to hear that Jess Mackay is Slytherin. Yeah. Yeah. And me and Benedict are Ravenclaw. Apparently they're brainy. Never heard of them before this one, you know. (laughs) Fantastic. Yeah. Anyway, that's my peak, guys. Hope you enjoyed that and go and find the quiz for yourself so you can find your own house. Benedict Collins.
3: My peak, um, I think, would be the climate change march um, last Friday afternoon. Huge turnout here at Parliament. It was just incredible watching people just pour and pour and pour into Parliament grounds. Um, You know, a fantastic turnout.
1: Yeah, it was really, really big numbers. The debate continues about whether it was bigger than the foreshore and seabed or not. I feel like foreshore and seabed was bigger, but other people who were around back then think this one was too. But it just shows the numbers of people and how passionately people yeah. care about it. So that's what it a couple of the cameramen
3: I was talking to were saying. That they were yeah. saying they hadn't seen crowds that big since the foreshore and yeah. seabed.
2: Fun fact, I was at the foreshore and seabed hikoi, 16 years old, and I was in traditional Māori cloak and all with a... With a patu in the hand, uh, part of the uh, haka crew. We
1: could go back through the footage can and see <laughs> <it>. oh, actually, <laughs> I, No, you can see me on the footage. That's <laughs> awesome. We should definitely dig <laughs> that out for you. Um, my peak this week, um, I did a story on Friday on the Waihopai spy base um, and marking its 30th anniversary. And they came to me with some footage that they'd filmed inside the domes. And that, those kinds of stories really appeal to me. And um, being a, even though they had to provide us with the footage because we weren't allowed to have the clearance to go and do it ourselves. Um, just getting like a little glimpse inside um, those domes that have been under so much scrutiny and so much media attention over the years, I, that appealed to me and I quite enjoyed that. So that was my, my pick. What about pits this week?
2: Kick us off with your pick, pit, Benedict.
1: Yeah,
3: well, I had a little trouble. I'm um, heading off to Bangkok, um early next month for the East Asian Summit. And filling in the media accreditation form wasn't particularly easy. (coughs) At one point I had the whole office gathered around my computer, um, (coughs) trying to scan documents, change documents from PDFs to JPEGs to everything else. Um, Yeah, so a, a little stressful. See,
2: there is benefit in being in an office full of women. (laughs)
3: <laughs> you. lot more you. tech savvy than they I. can help yes. you with
2: those things. Um, I do not have a pit. I have another peak. Um, and that is the um, media ad, the latest sort of media ad that Donald Trump's put out um, a short while ago. Uh, he's tweeted about it. Um, and it's about the Joe Biden um, saga there. And um, the clip is um, a reporter asking um, Biden whether he discusses his son's um, overseas um, business Business ventures um, with him um, to which Biden says no and then they um, play the song um, Photograph by Nickelback and they've got um, uh, the, the the music clip there holding up a photograph of Biden um, a giant oil chief exec from overseas um, and his son and the words look at this photograph every time I do it makes me laugh <laughs> because um, referencing the fact that maybe they do chat about his business um, overseas business interests Um so it's actually quite funny, guys. And it's making me excited for next year because, you know, the National Party has been on a bit of a roll with its um, media campaigns. Not that Trevor Mallard uh, would agree, and that issue is still sort that, hanging in that the air. Was,
3: that was fascinating. <laughs> Late last week with every single National Party MP tweeting out links to the, um, yeah. to, yes. the to the ads that have been told they're not allowed, to, that they have to take down. So it'll be interesting when Parliament comes back in yeah. just over so, a week yeah. to see... Um, what, what, if anything, um, Trevor Mallard does? Yeah. I'm
2: surprised that he's been so silent on it actually, and that he hasn't come out. I mean, the the you know the the, the, the day that he sort of made that ruling, he was threatening um, contempt of parliament yeah. and um, you know revoking the privilege to be able to use that footage, and we haven't heard anything from him after Simon Bridges basically gave. The, in the middle finger. The yeah. He can
1: do until he's back. I think that's the thing, that two-week recess was probably well-timed. Yeah, I think we'll he only see. lives <laughs> over the hill, though, so he's not too far away from I mean, them. No, but I think
3: They might not be able to go to Copperfield's cafe if they keep this up.
1: No, they're outrageous. No lollipops. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my pitch this week, um, I did an interview with Tracy Martin, and um, we were talking about Oranga Tamariki, and um, one of the things that I learnt from that interview um, was that when a child dies she puts the name on a board in her office and she was saying that for her it's a way of being accountable and and holding herself to account um for the names of these children who are killed and who are harmed and to me that just struck me um as is quite a haunting thing to think about and um quite a powerful thing for a minister to do and and to talk about. So um, I think, you know, a sad thing, but um, a really interesting thing to have learned from that interview. So that was was my pitch this week.
3: And I guess speaking of trying to keep young people alive, let's have a look at this uh, pill test story that I did this week. After dodgy drugs were detected at Rhythm and Vines a New Year's resolution. I would like to see drug testing at festivals. I think it saves lives, it saves hospitalisations. Pill testing allows punters to check the drugs they're planning on taking are safe and are what they claim to be. But now the police minister's told One News he's failed in his efforts to legalise it. It
0: is something I'm passionate about, I just can't get it across the line. It doesn't mean I stop. Um, it just means that we probably are not going to get it in place legally for this coming festival season. And here's why. We're acting at the wrong end here. We're being very reactionary if we think that it's okay to start saving lives or
3: to start um, protecting people after the drug has been taken or after it's been um, purchased. Derek Ball arguing drug testing legitimises and encourages drug use. It normalises it. And I think we're going down a very slippery slope if we think that's OK.
1: Festival drug testing everywhere that it has been rolled out internationally has had no impact on drug taking.
3: Without New Zealand First support, the police minister can't change the law. But this is all news to Winston Peters. We're opposed to drug testing at festivals. Yeah. Wouldn't want to give you an answer now. I don't know whether you're correct about that. Pill testing operates in a bizarre grey area. On the one hand you have the police minister endorsing the activity and some festivals have drug testing on site. But other festival owners are reluctant to do so because it remains illegal and they could potentially still be arrested and sent to jail. Drug testers are particularly worried about high dose MDMA pills this summer. They're killing people abroad and say it could happen here. We want to get on with providing a service that's, that's keeping people safe. We don't want
0: anyone to die, and frankly, Drug Ball is putting people at risk. Derek has to get real. People are going to festivals and to other events, uh, and they're making a choice. And at the moment, that choice is to consume drugs that are potentially risky.
3: Another summer on the way, and drug testing still in legal limbo. Now, this was really, really interesting from a political reporter point of view, because you had Stuart Nash coming out to the police minister and saying, look, yeah, I've done everything I absolutely can to get pill testing in place because it will save lives, but I just can't because of New Zealand First. Um, and then you have, you know, Derek Ball coming out and saying, no, it sends absolutely the wrong message. Um, you know, we're looking at things at the wrong end here. People just shouldn't be buying or taking drugs in the first place. Um, and, it, and it really, really blowing up. and it's been quite a fascinating story because uh, a day or two later uh, Winston Peters and Tracy Martin came out and had a crack back at Stuart Nash, Tracy Martin saying he shouldn't have made these comments publicly without more conversation I don't know how much more he's supposed to try and talk to them about this, they're clearly going to block it anyway but just to see that sort of openness from a minister saying, "Yeah, well, it's it's New Zealand First blocking this this progress here."
2: And just on that, with Derek Ball, really interesting to see him leading that because I was also told by another member of New Zealand First that it was actually Derek Ball um, who raised the concern about um, perhaps needing a referendum on the um, uh, on the abortion law reforms, which um, you know put Tracey Martin in a tricky position publicly, um, and that it was actually him who raised that with. Within the caucus, um, which saw, you know, that problem with Andrew Little and... And, and, and having, to apologize, having to apologise, right? So really interesting to see, um, yeah, a sort of, you know, not one of the most well-known um, MPs and certainly not a minister or an under-secretary um, sort of uh, have that sort of power, you could say, in the party and, and sort of
1: putting up those blockades, if you like. And I think none of this is by accident, given where we are in the political cycle, because... Uh, Labour is going to have to start next year saying this is what we've done and this is what we've failed to do when you, we came into power and this is why. And that's part of it because they'll say this is New Zealand First is to blame with this. We tried, we wanted to give it a go. I think if it had been perhaps last year or the year after you, we wouldn't have seen um, the Minister being so open but I think we're going to see more and more of that as they kind of try and separate themselves out Big picture over this. The other thing, though, as well, is that as a minister, if you can't convince your um, coalition partner, that is, you know, that is a failing on your part for not being able to convince them and get them on board, and 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 perhaps um, that's what perhaps there was still a little bit of wriggle room left from New Zealand's point of view and maybe that's why they were annoyed that the Minister had come out and said it so publicly. But I just think it's a fascinating topic and it's one that um, on online has, and in the yeah. social media world has got so much attention. It has
3: and I think one of the interesting things about New Zealand First's position on, on drugs is when you talk to Derek Ball, he will say, look, yeah, w- we absolutely support like needle exchanges. Um, which we've done stories on earlier this year as well, and he says, "Oh, that's because you know the the, the people using those services, are, uh, you know, are, are often drug addicts, and they need help and they need support, um, and they need you know clean needles to reduce HIV and things like that." But they take a very different view at pill testing. They say, "Look, this is just recreational drug use, social drug use. These people, you know, are choosing to take these as a one-off, um, and, and you know we don't want to have any sort of legitimacy um, if." if their view that it would legitimise pill testing by having these pill testing um, services. And some of the interesting things that I sort of discussed with Know Your Stuff and the Drug Foundation um, that they're really worried about is the, the strength of the MDMA, which, you know, ecstasy. You're now getting tablets that have, <clears throat> or pills, that are four times as strong as a, as a normal um, yeah. pill would be, right? <clears throat> without pill testing you've got no way of knowing how strong whatever you're taking is right and that's what has led to a lot of deaths in australia as people unwittingly or six deaths last summer um, unwittingly taking these incredibly strong mdma pills and basically you know their hearts overheating and their hearts you know um, shutting down
1: mm-hmm. well segueing to other substances that um, go into our body vaping is the next topic and let's have a look at mikey's story on that <laughs>
2: seeing more and more advertising and flavors some claim are targeting young people now parliament's uniting to rein in the vaping industry
0: my real concern is this is an experiment uh, with our children and their future.
2: Simon Bridges today writing to the Prime Minister, offering cross-party support.
0: We don't think this should be a rules-free zone. I welcome uh National Party wanting to work with us constructively on this issue.
2: But Parliament will have a scrap on its hands. A collective of 50 vaping businesses today promising to fight back, saying we're no longer going to take this lying down and claiming decimation by statute.
0: We've been trying to get in front of them for a long time
2: um, and just saying that we've effectively had enough. One expert says vaping remains a better option than tobacco and any regulation should keep that in mind.
0: They must uh, be flexible enough to deal with any issues that arise but in the first instance they must privilege vaping over smoked cigarettes.
2: The government is currently finalising sweeping vaping legislation including regulating flavours, a cap on nicotine and a full crackdown on marketing. It'll be along the lines of uh, the tobacco um, advertisement prohibitions, so advertisements via TV, social media, radio, billboards, posters. But vaping businesses say the rules should be similar to those for the liquor industry. I think marketing is incredibly important, um, especially now as the industry is still very young. It's expected the new legislation will be introduced into Parliament in the coming weeks. So this is interesting to see the National Party sort of reach out across the House um, and offer support and try to work with the government um, on this issue. Um, Simon Bridges, you know, obviously sees it as a good um, political issue that you know a lot of pe- that could tap into a lot of parents' um, concerns and that because you know one of the big concerns that we've heard lately is from the likes of principals worried about the level um, of um, uptake that we're seeing within schools and saying that um uh, the government the minister herself says you know according to the data it is actually only sort of around that two percent mark of young people who are taking up vaping so there's two sides to that argument um but you know from from a sort of public perspective it could be seen as a popular move because you know anything that keeps kids away from vaping or nicotine um has got to be a good thing Obviously, though, the businesses don't agree and or, or are sort of coming out trying to protect their
1: patch as well. And it's kind of one of those things that you've got all of these flavours and bubblegum and peach and nectarine and, you know, like all of these things that... Maybe nectarine, maybe that's a little obscure. But, you know, all these fruity, sweet flavours. Um, and that you're not really appealing to the older audience, do you know what I mean? Like, it's just the basics and the fundamentals of that. You can see how kids think, oh, look at this fancy packaging and these, um, you know, sweet flavours, and you can see why kids are drawn into it. And
3: the whole, the whole argument around vaping, right, is that, you know, it's a better alternative than smoking cigarettes <coughs> for smokers, to, you mm. know, and for them to tra- transition away from cigarettes to vaping. But then if you have all these flavours, are you encouraging new people to take up a new habit that's still detrimental for their health?
2: Yeah. especially when you look like Thomas the Tank Engine because the smoke is just obviously like ten times bigger and <coughs> it, you know just looks like I don't like want to say. It, but sort it just of driving looks down the motorway cool, or like,
3: yeah, 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 you just see it pouring out of cars. Eh? Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. Um, w- uh, really interesting to hear from the minister in that story. That in terms of marketing because that's going to be one of the big sort of contentious points, I think. When I was speaking to um, Jonathan um, from um, the vaping company and, and the collective there, about fifty of them, um, which is quite. Quite big. Um, that was one of the key concerns, was you know, them not being able to market their products, um, given that it is a better alternative than cigarettes. But it is still a young industry, so they sort of want to be able to sort of let people know that this product is available and, and this is, you know, what's available. Because he says that people are still sort of unaware they might know about vaping, but they don't really know sort of the ins and outs and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, and when I was speaking to him, he was saying, oh, you know, we wouldn't, we don't mind sort of being banned from advertising on TV or those sorts of platforms, but please don't go all the way where you ban sort of posters and that sort of thing. But that's exactly what the minister said in that story. So I think that that will be a bit of contention there for for both sides.
1: Do you have anything you wanted to add?
3: Yeah, but it's also, I mean, it's its very, very hard to trust, you know, the tobacco industry and their new offshoots, isn't it, after what we've seen with, you know, cigarettes cigarettes over so many years and the fights they've put up and the lies that they've told Who've around put, tobacco. Uh, yeah, and
2: tobacco's put up as uh, um, a big part of the vaping industry now. They're not the entire part, obviously, but they are
1: sort of behind. Yeah, um, it's
3: hard. I, I find it oh hard gosh. to, you know, to to trust them after that.
1: Right. Well, from... Plumes of smoke and fruity flavours to plumes of pollution. Let's segue now to the interview I did on Q&A with James Shaw. Standing out there in front of those students on Friday, Mm. you'd say to them, you haven't got the the zero carbon amendment bill through yet. Farmers and agriculture aren't part of the emissions trading scheme. Yet we've got this plastic bags Mm. scheme, but that's not big in the scheme of things. Is it just talk?
0: No, I don't believe it's just talk. I I do think that we have a huge program of work, but like I said, it's been 30 years, uh, and the window of opportunity to fix this thing is closing rapidly, so whilst we're making progress, I completely agree with them. We've got to go further, we've got to go faster.
1: They want big societal change. Mm -hmm. That's what they're pushing for. Mm -hmm. You're not delivering that, are you? Well, it,
0: it, it takes time to turn a super tanker, right? I mean, th- this is a, a, a sort of a whole of economy effort that we're engaged in here. And what our government is doing is we're putting the framework in place for some huge shifts over the, a 30-year time horizon. It's the kind of legislation that we saw, you know, um, like the Reserve Bank Act, you know, which we're only now tweaking 30 years after it was, after it was first put in place big institutional reform which will have uh, a real effect but if we if we just you know we I mean we're trying to do all the other stuff as well it's a bit like baking a cake and building the kitchen at the same time but you've got to do that big institutional stuff and it's got to last that's why we're trying to build cross-party consensus
1: one of the biggest things you could do as as a minister though is reduce the number of flights that you Take. That's something that as individuals um, we're being encouraged to do. Mm. Is that something you're looking at or should that not apply to ministers, do you think? No,
0: look, I I, I, I mean, I've set up video conferencing in my office. Uh, I was speaking at a conference in Oxford University from my office uh, a couple of weeks ago. Ministers offset all of their emissions automatically. So, uh, you know, we are technically carbon neutral when it comes to our travel, but you cannot do this job. Uh, with the technology that we've got Uh, and that's true of a lot of people and so if you can't reduce your emissions anymore then you then you should move to offsets and that's what we're doing
1: I found this interview really interesting with him because I think it um, it comes at a time where we're all talking about climate change. We've got the PM uh, at the UN talking a big game on New Zealand's behalf. We had Greta Thunberg coming out and, and giving her very impassioned speech. We had New Zealand students responding on that Friday with the big march and their pleas. And then it kind of seems timely that you're like, right, come on. Mr Climate Change Minister, let's have a sit down and see where we're at. And I think, um, you know, we we talk a big game on climate change and it's part of our brand, it's part of our image. But when you sit down and say, look, what are we actually doing on it? The minister has a list of things, but there are some big things that are still missing. No zero carbon amendment bill two years in. Um, farmers not included in this. Um, you've got these things like... Um, you know, the banning of plastic bags and straws and things like that, like these little things around the margins, but these big things, I think still, um, they still need to be held to account on this because I think that those big game-changing things we're, let to, we're yet to see change on. Yeah, I, th-
3: well, I thought that interview was really interesting as well, and I thought James Shaw did a pretty good job of, of running through all the different initiatives that the government has, and there are some big ones there, like, you know, banning... New Oil and Gas Exploration off, Offshore. Um, yeah, I, and, I, and I thought, you know, he did a pretty good job of explaining where they were. I was quite interested at in that. At the end of the interview, though, and it's something we covered in a story with the Greens recently, where you sort of put it to him about, you know, people's own carbon footprints and his own carbon footprint and his, you know, rather um, l- large flight itinerary that he has each year. And him saying, oh, hey, well, you know, we're, People in my job, we, we do have to travel, and and, and we try to offset that. Um, and all ministers, I think he said, off, offset their um, flights with carbon emissions. But there, are, I I still think there's you know uh, quite a lot of concern around whether these carbon offsets are legitimate forms yeah. of, of neutralising your um, behaviour.
1: And I felt like I the, the thing is is that you guys we have a um, we wear an earpiece, so you've got your producer in your ear. Um, giving you timing and things like that and so you've got an allotted time and we have to stick within a commercial um, hour for programming and things like that so you kind of have to keep on time with the live show and I had the rap and I put the question in about the flying and it was like and another rap and I was like oh I don't think I can ask another question about um, the offset <laughs> in, in without. his
2: defence he did, he did mention that he has set up video conferencing. Yeah and that's right yeah, yeah totally. that was interesting
1: too right. But yeah, I would yeah. have quite yeah. liked his perspective on that offset but stuff. I, I don't
2: know that you could you could sort of um, necessarily have ministers sort of avoid flying though. Absolutely not. Um,
3: no but it's it, it is interesting, right? And some people argue that when it comes to climate change, it's not about what you do, it's what you don't do, mm. right? And so you, you stop, you know, there's going to be a movement towards people stop catching planes, stop flying, because that's one of the biggest things every individual can do to reduce their own carbon footprint.
1: But I also think for, Ugh. and that's why I, I put it to him, because I do think yeah. that ministers do have an exemption from things like that, because you have to, Move around the country. I mean, I don't want him sitting but, but on train for ten hours. Uh, but they're also leaders, right? Enough.
3: They're also people look to them for leadership. Yeah, but
1: what a waste of time to for him as the minister to spend ten hours on a train traveling somewhere. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think their their time is precious, and I you know I just don't think people want that. But you've got a it's a tricky thing to answer because yes, that's, yeah. yeah. That's but what I think you could look doing. at
3: it another way. If you have green leaders, shouldn't they be setting the example?
2: Yeah, yeah. It um, just shows
1: how hard it is.
2: Yeah, you know? very much so. In terms of how hard it is, one of the things that I thought was interesting in his interview when he's talking about the zero um, carbon amendment bill that you know has been delayed and delayed. Um, interesting to, to note, obviously they don't know how the Nats will vote on that but in terms of New Zealand First when you asked him and he said look it was part of our coalition agreement but the devil is obviously in the detail and that's what's been so laborious for both sides is to sort of um, uh, uh, debate and get to a point where both sides can be happy because I think that's probably one of the biggest things is like well yes it, it was obviously in your coalition agreement with New Zealand First and Labour but in terms of the detail it's taken
1: so long. And just does to it get go far enough for the Greens? Because this is their big big moment and big chance. Mm. And, you know, is it going to be well, everything they want? Well, they've
2: wanted? obviously done quite a lot. Because the other thing that struck me was him saying, well, look, we're going to um, have a record that we've done more in this one term of government than we have as a country in the last yeah. 30 years. I thought that was big. But I also thought that is also the warning bell because such rapid change is what scares people Um, you know, whether it be slapping fees on your cars or, you know, now being cup shamed when you don't take your cup along to the coffee run, you keep cup to the coffee run. We
1: shame Mikey pretty good quite a lot. (laughs) I
2: I have one though. Um, Or, or, you know, all those things, but the change has been so rapid and obviously, you know, farmers are a big sort of um, example of that. They were just yesterday, you know, sort of the favorite child of the family and now they're the problem child (laughs) um, where once they embodied uh, the Kiwi dream, they are now contributing to the environmental nightmare that we are all oh, now waking nice up line. to okay so the, just those <laughs> things that that rapid change is probably the it's, other big point yeah
3: so it's going to be really interesting um i think because we're due to find out pretty soon exactly what they're going to do with farmers in terms mm. of um counting their emissions and how mm. much they're going to pay for but also i saw um In in the Netherlands, Um, farmers there have been um, under the gun as well for their contributions to climate change and the use of pesticides. And uh, they pretty effectively brought large parts of the um, large cities to a standstill doing the um, European tractor blocking thing. Europeans are very uh, European farmers are very good at doing. Didn't
1: Matt King go to one of those up north? um, And there was a tractor tractor protest up north. Um, that I saw on the news or reported in yeah, the yeah. paper the other day. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's a nice, nice picture images for us in television, that's for sure. <laughs> so from that regional image to banking in the regions, let's take a look at Benedict's story on that.
3: Martinborough's last bank closed a year ago.
1: Oh, it's
2: really put a hole in the community. You
3: know, we've learned to go online. We're not absolutely stupid about
0: it but uh, the convenience of having a bank has has been lost. But
3: now regional banking hubs are coming.
1: This is a one-stop shop of basic banking services and from early early next year the hubs will be trialled in four towns, Martinborough, Stoke, Uh, Openaki and Twizel.
0: The hubs are going to provide
3: basic transactional services such as cash withdrawals, most deposits and account transfers. The banking hubs will feature smart ATMs and online services and have a banking officer to point customers in the right direction for extra help. But National says today's announcement comes from a government that's been hammering rural communities.
0: Look, it looks like a sensible idea, but it's pretty clear that this is just something that's been come up with by the
3: government on the fly to have an announcement to make it look like they care about the regions. In Stoke today, the hubs got a cautious thumbs up.
1: Some service is better than no service
3: at all. But apprehensive about where it could lead. I have concerns for when it comes into the other areas where there are banks, that they will tend to shut down the banks that are there and tell people, go to the hub. Which means a lot more people will be be made redundant. The response was warmer. Back in Martinborough,
2: I think it's a very good fit for little villages like this. I think it's really good news. I think it's great. We
1: need yeah, we need staff banks. But
3: the hub sounds like a good idea. So thanks for that.
1: This is an uh, out of the box initiative, and so really really cool.
3: The trial begins early next year and will run for up to 12 months. <laughs> So this little initiative very well received. Um, where we got up to Martinborough and and um, in, in Stoke as well, uh, you, you know people pretty keen to see uh, more banking services provided there. But I thought it was the point that the Grey Power guy made, and um, Stoke was really interesting, saying, "Hey, you know, if this little regional hub um, banking hub is successful, you know, which is basically a really clever ATM machine." Um, he, he wonders whether banks and other small towns around the country will go. <laughs> uh, you know, and let's get rid of our building here, get rid of our staff and massively reduce our costs. Hey, And, and maybe the government's going to help cover them, cover some of those costs too. Mm. And We can just do a little, you know, fancy ATM.
1: Because that's the thing that is really hard. I mean, we, obviously we're living in Wellington and there are, you know, about six banks along Lambton Quay. It's really easy for us. But um, the, I had to go to a bank to get something sorted um, the other day with... Um, maternity leave, and you think this is the first time I've been to the bank in in years. Like you'd go for the odd time maybe to get some foreign cash or something for a work trip or something like that, but it's just not. We just don't go anymore. And you think that, um, and and there are times that you need to and you're asked to and all of that kind of thing. But it is interesting when you when you stop and think about it if we really need them anymore and how much part of they are part of the community what I'm saying isn't funny so what are you thinking
3: <laughs> so my producer at the start of that day had said "Oh, another thing people are really worried about is um, checkbooks people you know getting harder and harder to cash checks on. and I was like seriously does, does no one uses checkbooks anymore no. and then when we went out to Stoke and we went to Martyrborough Vox we did on the street and the guy in um, Stoke all talked about how now they have to drive even further to cash their checks and it's yeah, oh, my my, my God, books, it's man.
1: 2019. With but could you called just the put, But you could just put your check in a fast deposit envelope and then put it in the thing. Because I worked at but ANZ seriously, how can
3: on, anyone use checks anymore? It's,
1: I worked at a bank over I mean, a couple of summers, <laughs> and so um, as a like a teller, as a part-time job, and people just but so you know, and I know what I'm talking about here. But you could just put your check in an envelope with fast deposit and put it in into this hub thing. And then you could people would collect it, and you could do it that way. Like you could cash your check that way.
3: But it's such an easy way for people to commit fraud as well, right? It's (laughs) like you can write a check that you don't have the money for, and the poor person who tries to bank it gets stung. A stung a fee but if they try to cash it. That's what
1: got to think it. about that it's not like that people still need services like that and while Yeah and that who, was the
2: problem that they made with the census th- and thinking that yeah. everyone was now digital that we were a digital society but yeah. there's still large parts
1: of blinkers off of then. our communities
2: just because you're uh, not you getting well, Speaking
3: <laughs> of blinkers I did ask my producer <laughs> if these people rode into town on their horses Yeah, yeah, you know?
2: yeah. Oh you guys uh, are going to get some, some fan mail with they'd these letters and they're going to get it in letter Yeah You won't get Get it on Facebook. You'll get the letter in your hand I saying, love "I didn't appreciate yeah. your letters. comments, Benedict Collins."
1: Yeah. Usually it, they're from jail. And
3: people still I have write them when, for us. <laughs> when people get angry, they still write in caps, lock, you know. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. But I do think we have <laughs> to appreciate that, even though I mean, I know for example, my grandmother is very tech savvy and really onto it with stuff. And you know, we she does predictive. Uh, uh, what is it that when you're reading up? I can't. God, that makes me sound really tech savvy. Yeah. When you read. To your phone and Siri? then it cuts it out. Oh, you know what I'm talking about. That yeah. she does all of that and she's really across it and really into it. And I just think that, but not everyone's like that. You know mm. what I mean? So I think maybe we have to have a little bit of appreciation. Um, and direct any concerns or queries you have, please to Benedict Collins. Um, and that's, and it's good
3: to know Kiwi Bank is getting rid of checks.
1: Really? Is yep. yep. it good to know? Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I but yep. that. It's 2019, Mikey. And and on that note, it's a nice place to leave it. Um, That was One News Inside Parliament, our weekly catch-up about the political stories we've been covering on One News. We're on Instagram, Twitter and on Facebook. It's available around this time every week on One News Now. And check us out on your favourite podcasting app. Thanks for being with us.